scripture tonight is John 16, 5 through 15. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. A couple of years ago, one of the, uh, uh, the trends that ran through the church uh, was that a lot of us began wearing uh, bracelets with uh, the initials WWJD on them with a question mark. And uh, that stood for, uh, what would Jesus do? And the idea was that uh, a Christian would look at the bracelet um, and be reminded throughout the day to ask the question in every situation, I wonder what Jesus would do here, or I wonder how Jesus would handle this. The WWJD bracelet campaign was well-intended, but what its founders didn't realize is that they were repackaging a second-century heresy known as binatarianism. Uh, Binatarians believed in the deity of the Father and the deity of the Son, but not the deity of the Holy Spirit. They believed that he played uh, a lesser role Uh, in the plan of salvation. Now, most of us today would say that we believe in the Holy Spirit, but a lot of us don't really fully rely upon Him in our daily lives. And and we're stuck with a WWJD model. We love the Lord. We want to please the Lord. Uh, We do ask, what would He do here? What would He do there? But what we don't realize is that that approach to Christianity has nothing to do with the gospel. (laughs) It's a heresy. The idea that Jesus is a role model whom we emulate under our own determination uh, is, is not the gospel. We follow God today through the Spirit. Everything that God does today in the church is done through the Spirit. Francis Chan has written a book about this, lamenting the church's tendency to praise the Father, Son, and the other guy. That's where I stole that. And he says, from my perspective, the Holy Spirit is tragically neglected and practically forgotten. While no evangelical would deny his existence, I'm willing to bet there are millions of churchgoers across America who cannot confidently say they've experienced his presence or action in their lives over this past year. And they don't believe that they can. Now, we are in the middle of a series on the Trinity. 
we began several weeks ago in the Old Testament looking at uh, how the Old Testament writers foreshadowed or pointed to the idea that, that the one God of Israel existed in a plurality or in a, a relationship. And then we spent some time looking at how the first Christians were Jewish and how they uh, celebrated and worshipped the one God of Israel. They were monotheistic, fiercely so. And then we looked at how Jesus Christ was also worshipped as the divine Lord. And this week, we want to spend a little time thinking about the fact that the early believers experienced the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit in their life together. And this was no surprise. This was just as God had promised. Uh, if you remember anything, if you study the Old Testament at all, if you remember the narrative that we've covered in, many times before in here, God wanted to live with His people. That's one of the main themes of the Scripture. God loves you. He wants to be with you. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. That's the, the theme of the whole Scripture. And so after the fall into sin, one of the first things he does is he says, okay, build me a temple, build me a tabernacle, build me an ark. And then he says, I'm going to place my spirit in the ark so that I can be with you. I want to be as close to you as I can. Well, then as time goes on and the people of God rebel, the, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord is abandoned. He, he goes away in that horrible moment where the Shekinah glory departs from Israel. That name Ichabod means the glory of the Lord has departed. One of the prophets named their children that at that terrible moment in Israel's history. And a dark season is ushered in. And then towards the end of the Old Testament era, the prophets begin to look forward to the day when God's presence will dwell with His people in a new way. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, God says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put in you. And I'll put my spirit within you, and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now the promise is fulfilled. The day of Pentecost, God pours out His Spirit on the church. And at that time, the church begin, the people of God begin to experience the power and the presence of God in a way unlike any other period in redemptive history. And so Luke writes a two-volume history of the early church. The first is called Luke. The second is called Acts. In the early church, they were, they were all together. And how does he start out the, the book of Acts? He says, uh, in the first book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. And the idea is, now I'm going to teach you everything that he continued to do and teach through the Holy Spirit. And when you read the book of Acts, you, you, you see that you never see the elders, the apostles, the early church, you never see them sitting around going, now what would he have done here? Never. You see this dynamic encounter with the living, breathing Holy Spirit who is so active in their lives that they're, they're more responding and reacting and trying to keep up. They're not just emulating a role model. And, and what I'm going to do tonight is, in this whole series, different. this first part of the series is different, it's more doctrinal. I want to take you through a number of scriptures now in the book of Acts. And I'm going to go quickly. If you'd like the scriptures, you can email me and I'll, I'll read them, them to you or I'll send them to you. 
This is how the, the, Luke describes the early church's experience of the Holy Spirit. And as we go through this, I want you to ask, does my experience uh, relate to this in any way? Uh, is there any sense in which this is what I experience? Is there any sense in which our church experiences this? Acts 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts 2.38, Peter, first sermon, he describes conversion as receiving the gift of the Spirit. Acts 4.29, they witness with boldness because they're filled with the Spirit. Acts 5.1-6, Ananias dies because he lies to the Spirit. Acts 8.14, Peter and John pray that the Samaritans receive the Spirit. Acts 9.17, Saul converts, filled with the Holy Spirit, as Ananias lays hands on him. Acts 10.9, Peter has a vision about preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. He doesn't know what it means. He prays. The Holy Spirit interprets the dream and tells him to start preaching to the Gentiles. Acts 10.44, he goes to the Gentiles, preaches with power. The Holy Spirit, Luke says, falls on them. Acts 13, the elders in the church of Antioch are fasting and praying. The Holy Spirit tells them to send Barnabas and Paul on mission. Acts 15, the first Jerusalem council. They're debating whether or not they should ask the Gentiles to keep all the Jewish laws. They argue about it for a couple of weeks. They decide not to. They say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Paul goes to the Ephesians. Preaches the gospel to them. He baptizes them. He lays hand on them. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. Acts 21, four single women prophesy in the Spirit over Paul. And that's just, that's just the book of Acts. Now, there are two other places we can go to get a picture of uh, the, the dynamic experience of the Holy Spirit in the early church that forced them to reckon with the Trinity. Because remember, they already believe in the one God of Israel. They believe in the divine lordship of Christ. But they have this daily experience of uh, the Holy Spirit. The second place we can go is uh, the Gospels. Remember, the Gospels aren't just uh, uh, history books, biographies of a great man. The Gospels are written in the 50s and the 60s and later in the 90s to be a discipleship manual for the early Christians. That was the main reason they were they were written. And one of the points that they make is that, and this, this is the most important thing to say in the whole sermon, Jesus Christ was as dependent upon the Spirit as you and I are. See, Jesus in His humanity lay down the privileges of deity, and as a man, He was as dependent upon the Holy Spirit as you and I are. And so, if you read the Gospels, and you look where the Holy Spirit is active, He's all over the place. He surrounds the events of the Nativity, Luke 1.35. Jesus is baptized in the Spirit, Luke 3.21. Jesus, full of the Spirit, is led out into the wilderness, Luke 4.1. He returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, Luke 4.14. He begins His public ministry with the words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke 4.18. Jesus tells Nicodemus he must be born of the Spirit, John 3, 5. Jesus wages spiritual warfare by the Spirit, Mark 12, 28. He never says, now guys, when you're gone, sit down and ask the question, what would I have done? Never says that. 
He says, I'm sending the Spirit, I'm giving the Spirit, I'm breathing the Spirit on you, I'm baptizing you in the Spirit. I am going to the Father, I'm giving you the Spirit so that you will know what to do. Clark Pinnock studied the the role of the Spirit in the ministry of Jesus, and he concludes this. The first act of the risen Lord was to breathe the Spirit on the disciples and send them forth into mission. This alerts us to the fact that the effectiveness of the church is due not to human competency or programming, but to the power of God at work. The church rides the winds of God's Spirit like a hawk, endlessly and effortlessly circling and gliding in the summer sky. The danger of subordinating the Spirit to the Son in Christology also exists in ecclesiology. This happens when the church is seen as the body of Christ to which the Spirit is added as helper. The Spirit's role is not a junior role. The Spirit who filled Jesus empowers the community of disciples to be the vehicle of God's saving activity. Jesus, who received the Spirit and ministered in power, communicates God's life to the church to carry on the mission. So we're talking about the doctrine of the Trinity. And we're asking, why did they add the Holy Spirit? They believed in the one God of Israel. They believed in the divine Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're saying is, they included the Holy Spirit in the Godhead because of their daily dynamic experience of him. It wasn't an abstract doctrine. They didn't read it in a book. They knew God through the Spirit. And so when they had to talk about God, and we're going to look at this more when we come back, uh, and I'm going to take a Sunday, I'm going to talk to you about the Nicene Creed. That'll be the first and last time I ever preach on the Nicene Creed, but it's the most important creed in Christendom, and we're going to do that in two weeks, and we need to talk about it. But the the, the third way that we find out how the early church experienced the Holy Spirit is through the letters of Paul. And again, I'm just going to do the fire hose thing here. Um, Let's go. The Spirit gives new life, 1 Corinthians 15.45. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, Romans 8.16. The Spirit sets us free, Romans 8.2. The Spirit dwells in us as God's temple, 1 Corinthians 6.19. The Spirit reveals the deep things of God's heart to us, 1 Corinthians 2.10. The Spirit empowers gospel preaching, 2 Corinthians 3.8. The Spirit expresses God's presence through spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. The Spirit authenticates the gospel by performing signs and wonders, Romans 15.18. The Spirit fills us, Ephesians 5.18. The Spirit bears fruit through us, Galatians 5.22. The Spirit leads us, Galatians 5.8. The Spirit gives us wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, Ephesians 1.17. The Spirit raised Christ from the dead, is the same one who's now at work in us, Ephesians 1.15. The Spirit washes and regenerates and renews us, Titus 3.7. And that's not including all the ones I left out. The Holy Spirit saturates everything about the New Testament, the book of Acts, the Gospels, the Epistles. Gordon Fee, in the best book I know of on the Holy Spirit, puts it like this. He says, The community of God's people owe their life together as a body to their common, lavish experience of the Spirit. The Spirit must be reinstated into the Trinity, where He has never been excluded in our creeds and liturgies, but has been practically excluded from the experienced life of the church. 
Now, two things are evident from all the verses that we've seen. And the first is this. The early Christians believed the Holy Spirit to be divine. Peter accuses Ananias of lying to God, and then he calls God the Holy Spirit. Paul says, don't you know God's Spirit lives in you? Jesus commands the disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, the Spirit. We could give many more evidences of this. The early church believed the Holy Spirit was God. And secondly, the early Christians experienced the Holy Spirit as a distinct person. If you, if you study the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, you don't find a force, you don't find a power, just a vague impersonal power. You find a person who searches all things, knows the mind of God, dwells within believers, gives life to those who believe, cries out from our hearts, leads us in the ways of God, helps us in our weaknesses, works all things together for good, strengthens us, is grieved by our sinfulness. These are all things that a person does. And so when you say, if you ever are praying around me and you you call the Holy Spirit an it, I will gently say, he's not an it. Don't ever call the Holy Spirit an it. That's a heresy. Star Wars, force, that's an it. The Holy Spirit, not an it. Person, 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 person. With feelings, desires, a will, plans, a heart. The Spirit is the way that Jesus is present with His people today. The Spirit manifests the active presence of God in the world today. Now, a long time ago I I was reading a book on the Holy Spirit, and the author, I I couldn't find the book, um, so I'm probably butchering the story, but but, uh, uh, I think it's still a good story. He said, "The the, the church is like a ship in water. Sometimes the water's frozen, and sometimes it's liquid. The idea being, the Holy Spirit is always present, but sometimes, through lack of faith, or sin, or rebellion, or whatever, He's frozen. He doesn't move. He's He's hindered in his movement among the people of God, and so the church is like a big ship stuck in the ice. But there are certain conditions of the believer's heart and the community's heart, faith, purity, love, passion, expectation, hope, anticipation, obedience, that thaw the ice and free the church to move in the waters of the Spirit. And you might think about your own life, by the way, Almost all the references to being filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit in the New Testament are communal. They're almost all, you can't see it in the English, but they're almost all plural pronouns. So it's something we do as a community. But that doesn't negate the fact that we do it as individuals, too. And you might ask yourself, what month is it on Lake Doug? What month is it on Lake Tim? Is it uh, January? Is everything thawed up in your life? Is the Spirit just kind of frozen? Is it March? Maybe there's some ice chunks, but there's a little bit of movement. Is it June? Water's free, the boat's moving. Let me uh, suggest a a couple of reasons why we have so much trouble with this. And and I find over the years that this is one of the hardest things to preach on, uh, the Holy Spirit, becoming open to the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, and I think it's why the Holy Spirit is that other guy that, that we for, for, forget about. A couple of reasons why I think we tend to freeze up when it comes to the Holy Spirit. One, uh, one is just the abuses of the charismatic movement. Now, I think some of you that are younger haven't bumped into this as much. Uh, you went through the 80s and 90s. You probably have some, some bad experiences there. And, and uh, maybe somebody prophesied over you and hurt you in a bad way. Or maybe somebody did something real wacky in a meeting and you thought, well, that was crazy. Or, uh, you know, a lot, there's a lot of horror stories about charismatic gifts. And what happens is you get hurt, you get burned, you step back and you say, if that's what the Holy Spirit's about, I'm going to go back to my bracelet. My bracelet's not going to hurt me. And of course, there's counterfeits of everything, right? And so, if you've been burned by the charismatic movement, get over it. If you shut everything down because you've been hurt by a counterfeit, you know, stay home and watch TV. Uh, this is a contact sport. Come on, grow up. Uh, you got you got to work through these things. You can't reject everything because of one or two bad experiences. Now, there's another reason why I think we have such a problem with this, and I think it's the, the, just the prevailing secular worldview. Of, of Western culture. We're just oriented to, to think in terms of the physical, the material, the things that we can see. And so this whole idea that there is a spirit world that is just as real as a material world, uh, the idea of spiritual warfare, the idea that uh, the Holy Spirit is actually, all the things we sang about tonight, that he actually might do that, it's just out of most of our frame of reference. We have a very secular worldview. And so... Again, one of the things you've got to do is, is, is get over it. The, the world in the scriptures is different than the world that we live in, and you need to choose. Which one are you going to live in? Which one are you going to believe is true? The scriptural world believes in a, a spiritual worldview. Third, I, I think, uh, cause for our struggle with the Holy Spirit is the depersonalization of the Spirit in, in, in our culture today. Most people now believe in some kind of life force. Most people now believe in um, some kind of life energy. Uh, we're all kind of comfortable with, with that. But that's not the Holy Spirit. And so I think some people think, well, I'm fine with the Spirit. You know, I believe that there's a power in the rocks and the trees and the birds and the bees. And I love Disney movies and they always sing about that. That's not what we're talking about. That's a different uh, category altogether. I think a fourth reason why we struggle with this is fear of irrational subjectivism. The very idea that the Holy Spirit might actually speak to me, like we sang for half an hour. I mean, sometimes I think we can just, we're almost like multiple personality disordered people. We come in and we sing things that we have no intention of believing. (laughs) Or we just, yeah, 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 speak, 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 speak. I don't believe that. I mean, didn't the guy in Washington hear voices and shoot up the Neville Yard? I'm not going to go around saying I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. We don't believe it. We're afraid of that subjectivism. And a lot of reasons, we have good reasons why. Because somebody did hear a voice and go in and shoot up the, the Naval Yard. But again, it's the same thing with the charismatic gifts. Just because someone abuses something doesn't mean it's wrong. 
You have got, folks, we've got to stop running from, you can't create a theology out of wounds. <laughs> you cannot create a spirituality out of woundedness. You create it out of the truth. Now, this is a, a book, actually, we were praying just before church, and uh, sometimes the Lord speaks to me by reminding me of books I read. And uh, this is called Windows of the Soul by Ken Geyer. And he has this quote. He says, I went back to the library and pulled it out. He says, it could be argued that to be open to the possibility of God's speaking and working through other means than just the clear teaching of Scripture is to let in all sorts of confusion. After all, a window lets in pollen along with the breeze, flies along with the sunshine, the cackle of crows along with the cooing of doves. If that were your argument, I would have to agree. But if we want fresh air, we have to be willing to live with a few flies. Of course, we can shut out the flies and the pollen and the cackle of crows, and if a clean and quiet house is what's most important to us, perhaps that's what we should do. But if we do, we also shut out so much of the warmth, so much of the fragrance, so many of the sweet songs that may be calling us. Now let's not forget, and we didn't have time to develop all this tonight, but if you were listening to those scriptures at all, surrendering to the Spirit, knowing the Spirit, hearing the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, trusting the Spirit, experiencing the Spirit, walking in the gifts of the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, is all done within the banks of a, of a river. On one bank is the Word of God, and on the other bank is the people of God. So we're not talking about just going out and hearing voices. We're talking about the Holy Spirit being active and alive in our life, and we boundary that, we protect it, we guard it by the, knowing the Word of God on one hand and being among the people of God on the other hand. So that when you say, I think the Holy Spirit told me to do, mm, the community you're in can say, that's not consistent with Scripture. Or we don't discern that that's what God's doing in your life. I'm not calling us to an individualist, mushy-headed subjectivism where we just say, God told me, and nobody can challenge that. Matter of fact, I'd implore us, let's not use language like God told me. We're not that good at this. I think... You know, I've been in the Word and I've been in prayer and this is what I think the Spirit is saying to me. Let's have some humility about this. Nothing kills a conversation quicker than, well, God told me. <laughs> and where do you go with that? You know, it's all over. So, so let, let's have a little humility about how we talk about these things. Um, now, what is the bottom line? And here's why I think, here's the ultimate reason why the Holy Spirit's the forgotten guy in the Trinity. This is about lordship. You see, when I put a bracelet on, there's very little risk. I mean, I might as well be trying to follow Walt Disney. I just find out what I like and try to do it. What we're suggesting, what we're saying is that the Holy Spirit is the expression of the Lordship of Christ in a believer's life. 
to surrender to Jesus Christ, to follow Jesus Christ, is to yield to the Holy Spirit. That is how you follow Christ as a new covenant person. There's no other way. Well, I'm good with Jesus. I don't trust the Holy Spirit. Well, then you're in big trouble because Jesus is up there. The Holy Spirit's here. The Spirit of Jesus is what helps you follow the person of Jesus. And so really what I think we're doing tonight as we're working on this doctrine of the Trinity and looking at the Holy Spirit is really we're landing at more of a place of invitation of, of invitation to the dance. Following Jesus Christ is more than learning these principles and asking, I wonder what he would have done. Following Jesus Christ is opening your heart, opening your life, opening your career, opening your thought life, opening your romance, opening your body, opening your anxiety to the person of the Holy Spirit and letting Him take you wherever He wants to take you. And I submit to you, that's why a lot of us try to sail in frozen water. is because we've not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.